You see it? I love that. <laughs> it's truly a wonderful hymn that you want to go out and glorify God. And so at this time, uh, we come to uh, the Word, and uh, I'd like to have us read first from Matthew chapter 21, 1 through 11. So Matthew 21, 1 through 11 first, and then we'll read another passage, John 12, 9 through 19. So Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Hear God's word. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and straw them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Let's also go to John 12, 9 through 19. John 12, 9 through 19. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, and went forth to meet him, and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found an ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remember they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that were with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. 
For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevailed nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. May God bless his holy word, so shall we pray. O oh, Father, give unction to your speaker. Give enlightenment to your saints and all to the glory of your Son, our great and glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is what has been called Palm Sunday, the Sunday that is before the Passion Week. Jesus was making his official entrance as the Messiah. He is now declaring it to be public knowledge. As we Recall the Jewish leaders were against that and wanted him dead. Have wanted him dead for a long time. But because of the Passover, they would not dare to make that, that opportunity. And also because it would stir up the people who were following him in mass, owing to his popularity, owing to the good things that he did, in contrast to the evil things that were being done to them, or the lack of good things that were not done to the people of God by the religious hierarchy. Jesus did it on the Passover. He caused it to happen then. Not before, not after, but on that occasion so that it would coincide with the sacrifice of the lambs that would be offered up, Paschal lambs as they are called. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, Paul Peter said. Received from your vain conversation, by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. As John would declare upon the entrance of Christ earlier in that three-year period of his public ministry. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The story on this occasion began when Jesus rode on the back of a borrowed donkey. Actually, it was a colt. There were two. There was the mother donkey and the colt and some suggested that the mother donkey was to be brought along to subdue that colt as he would be ridden for the first time. Cloaks were spread on the donkey for Christ to sit upon. The multitudes came out to welcome him. It was a big parade, as you know, how that draws a crowd. And it says in Mark 11, which we didn't read, 7 and 8, and many spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches off of the trees and straw them in the way. We saw that in, in Matthew. The spreading of their cloaks was a gesture of bowing to royalty. Jesus was their Messiah. They praised him who came in the name of the Lord. 
Hosanna in the highest means salvation now. Salvation now has come. The Savior, our Deliverer. And so John, as we read, records, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him. So everyone was in this fanfare over the entrance, the triumphal entrance of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Blessed be the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, the palm trees themselves represent what would be displayed when a, a triumphant uh, military would return home. In the intertestamental period of Israel, and this is prior to the coming of Christ, between the two testaments of the old and the new, there was one Judas Maccabeus, otherwise known as the Hammer. He would be the Hebrew version of Robin Hood who wreaked havoc amongst the Seleucid troops who desecrated the temple. So much so that in 164 BC, they relinquished the temple back to the Jews so that they could return to the practice of their worship of God. And his brother Simon Maccabeus actually drove the Seleucids out of Jerusalem altogether, if you can picture that. And so in this ticker tape parade that ensued for him, for the brother of the one who desecrated the temple, Simon Maccabeus, the Jews wave palm branches in the air. Now Jesus rides into Jerusalem to make his claim known that he is their Messiah. No uncertain terms. No hemming and hawing. And this in fulfillment of the word of prophecy. Such as in Psalm 118, 26, which I partially quoted earlier and would like to read at this time. Psalm 118. Twenty-six. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Psalm 118, 26. But especially this prophecy of this minor prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and walking, um, riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace unto the heathen and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth. Amen. So you see how significant this minor prophet's prophecy was and is. Jesus riding into the city of the great king, which isn't David, but ultimately, which is him, himself, the greater David. 
hailed by the people as the conquering king that he truly is. But did he not tell Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world? Because for Christ, his kingdom is not a physical and material realm, but rather a spiritual kingdom which knows no end. And now Jesus was openly declaring that he is their long-awaited Messiah, that is their king, their spiritual king. And here he is pleased to receive worship and praise from the covenant people of God. And notice I qualify that because not all are his covenant people. Some are only that in name, that outwardly, in the flesh, but not in the spirit and not in the heart. Like Jesus did receive from Lazarus before us, as mentioned in John. It says in that passage that, that I just read, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus and they don't like that. You see, sinners don't like Jesus. They hate Jesus. You want to know, just come out on a Tuesday morning or a Thursday morning and you will see that. And it may not be in your face, although sometimes it may be, but it may be just by the indifference, by the, eh, what's that to me, you know? Attitude. Here Jesus is making it very plain. And Lazarus is chiming in with that. And that is why they're after him, because after he was raised from the dead, he was touting that there is somebody greater than all y'all who can raise the dead because he raised me. And they didn't like that. And they didn't like the fact that now uh, it's becoming known that, that he was going to rise from the dead too as this prophecy of his coming death, impending death, and burial and resurrection was to happen. And as children at that time on Palm Sunday were about, as it says in Matthew, and we'll... Uh, Turn back to it again, Matthew 21, 15 and 16. I want you to get the, the, the feeling, the flavor of what's happening here. Matthew 21, 15 and 16. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were sore displeased and said unto him, Hearst thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Those children had more sense than those intellectual know-it-alls of theology. Those children were brought up in the word and and when the Holy Spirit brings it home, it doesn't matter what your age is. You could be a, a babe in the womb, and you'll be leaping for joy at the voice of the Son of God. And that's what they were doing. And that's what they were doing. But even if that's not enough, it says in Luke 19, the following, Luke, Luke 19, verse 29. I won't read the whole thing, actually, because uh, I'll dispense with that. But 
Look at verse 40 at the end of this parallel gospel passage. It says, and he said and said unto them, and he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. The Lord is not going to be lack of praise, I'll tell you that. And if it's not going to come out of people, it's going to come out of the creation, out of the very stones and the rocks that will cry out. Ironically, the praises most of the people lavished on Jesus was not because they recognized him as their Lord and Savior, as I made mention of earlier. But they wanted deliverance from the oppression of their enemy. As was always the case, they were always under some opprobrium of some greater power. Like today. Is it any different today? And here we are, a superpower underneath the opprobrium of other superpowers. And don't think, don't make light of that possibility that they are uh, what, they, what they claim to be. Or what we believe them to be. Don't take anything for granted or take anything lightly. As, as even the Jews did in days of old. They wanted deliverance from the oppression of the Roman Empire, which was greatly, greatly oppressing them, doing everything they can short of destroying them. Of course, they didn't want to do that because then it would be of no use to them, but making them their tributary state and making them their colony. That's what they were hoping to at least accomplish. And maybe Jesus is the one to lead them into battle against the Roman Empire. That was what the hope was of many. Sadly, when it became evident that he was not the one to lead them in this massive revolt, like what I alluded to earlier of, of Judas and Simon Maccabeus, pronouncing it in different ways now. <laughs> I'm not Hebrew. <laughs> When Jesus failed their expectations as the political and military commander-in-chief, the crowd soon turned against him. Crucify him! Crucify him! They declared. Many of those who previously hailed him as a hero would soon reject him and abandon him as the hope of Israel. The story of Christ's triumphal entry is one of irony and of contrast. In truth, is the story of the king of kings who comes as a lowly servant, slave of his father and of his people. And to illustrate that, riding upon this donkey and upon the colt of this donkey, actually the latter, not a prancing white steed in, in, uh, in royal garb, in purple and white, as what our Lord will be coming as in the second coming if the book of Revelation is speaking the truth, which I doubt, I don't doubt that it is. But he came not to conquer by force this first time, as earthly kings are wont to do. And are they all not wont to do? And I'm not ex excluding it to just one uh, party or another, but, but, but all, but all are with that tendency not that desire to accomplish or to do. But if he chose to do so, he certainly has the means to do it. Does he not? As he said on one occasion that he could send 20 legions of angels right now and, and set him free. It's really a laugh when you think about it. But yet that's not his purpose. And, 
and he was very serious and solemn and, and, and honest and with integrity in his admittance that, that that's not how he came and that's not what he came to do because he left all that behind. He left all of his riches and glory. He left his arsenal in heaven and he came alone in this dress of our humanity in order to do for us what we can't do for ourselves and that is to save ourselves from our sins. He came to do that. No, Christ would conquer his foes, but they would be a different kind. Sin and Satan and the world and death. And he would close the gates of hell forever. Look at Philippians in closing. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Who being in the form of God... That means he was God. His essential nature was, was God, was Godhood. He was God made flesh. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It was not something that he had to attain to because he was that. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form, the nature of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, flesh and blood like you and I, with the ability to, uh, to suffer with those needs that we have, with all the weaknesses that we share, yet without sin. That's the one caveat the Son of God. He was impeccable. That means not only did he not sin, he could not sin. You couldn't make him, you couldn't force him to sin. It was impossible. It would go against his divine nature. And his divine nature presided over his human nature in that way. But he goes on. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, meaning he willingly brought himself down he became a humble servant to others, beginning with his father, extending to his people, and even to all mankind. He was never one who tooted his own horn, as it were. He was never one to uh, be in anyone's face. He was truly, truly meek and mild. Like, like he said when he entreats his people, come unto me, or to all, to all. Come unto me, all you who labor, are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. You will find rest unto your souls. Because that was him. That was him par excellence. The very thing that, that God's people need to be. That God has equipped us to be by his spirit. To have those fruits of the spirit in our lives. He is that. He has all those fruits of the spirit. Love and joy and peace and suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. He has all those to the nth degree. And not just because he is God, but because as the God-man, as the Son of Man, he exhibited that. And he, as God, exemplifies to us how we're to be. And it says that he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 
such obedience to his father. It wasn't easy. There was a time in the garden when he was tossed to and fro after he prayed to his father and his disciples were all asleep and, and he cried out to God, if it'd be possible if you, if you would, Father, be your will, Father, take this cup from me. But then the Spirit of God within him prevailed and he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he went through with what he was tasked to do, the will of his Father, the meat and drink of his life, and that is to go to the cross and to be a ransom payment for his people. His kingdom is a kingdom of lowly servants, starting with himself. He conquers the hearts and minds and, and souls and wills of his people by his word and the Holy Spirit. That's how he works. And his true triumphant, triumphal entry is into the lives of his people. That's where his kingdom is. And that's why you know it's going to be for, for sure and for, and for good and will be enduring. And his conquest will be. It will happen. It will happen. So as his followers, we are to exhibit those qualities. It's an effort on our part, unlike him, because we are this mixed bag of, of, of sin and righteousness with the old man and new man competing. Yes, the old is dying. Yes, the old is, is being crucified, but not, but not yet. And in the meantime, uh, it is a contest between the old and the new. Put off the old and put on the new. Paul would say, so that the world will see that the true king is living and reigning in triumphant glory through us. As Romans 8.37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, so that they may see who the true conqueror is, because he has conquered us, and he has defeated us. And as we go forth, in his train, as part of his train, as we follow the Lamb with us, whoever he will, we set forth the glory of his name as light shining in a, in a sin-darkened and Satan-darkened world. So how is he in your life? We know how he is, but how is he working in your heart? Shall we pray? <clears throat> Father, we are thankful for Palm Sunday because it does indeed Establish itself as one of those important events in redemptive history. It is a moment of declaration and confession that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Lord over all, but especially the Lord over his, over his people, and how he has come to establish an enduring kingdom which will rule over all other kingdoms. In fact, your followers, Lord Jesus, are from all the nations of the world, are from nations that are our enemies as the United States of America to those of our very country. Oh Lord, how we thank you that we are part of that very kingdom itself. And Lord, if there are any that we know that are not part of that, that we would continue to exhibit in a, in a positive, passionate way uh, the glory of our God and our King, our Lord and our Savior.